Everybody doing good today? Good. All right. Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. We've been hanging out here for a while. Should be no surprise. I'm going to read just two or three verses. Verse 9, 10, and 11 today. And then uh, we'll pray. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. If you've been around the last two weeks, you know we're walking through the most famous prayer in history, the Our Father. And we're on the third stanza here today. He says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we get to worship you together. Thank you for every person here. Lord, for the student that's just um, returning back to school. God, for the uh, young professional that is just figuring out what the next stage in life is. God, for the married couple. Um, and God, for the middle-aged couple. And Jesus, for every one of us at different stages, um, different uh, backgrounds and histories. Thank you that we get to gather as one family, as one eternal family, the church. God, it is such an honor, such a privilege. We stand in awe of that reality. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you right now into this time. As we hear these words from a man, God, our heart is not interested in hearing from a man, but we want to deeply and desperately hear from a divine, holy, perfect God. So open up our ears to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I recently read a story about uh, a woman named Amy Collard. And uh, I don't know if you have kids. Let me see your hand if you have kids. Let me see your hand if you have one or more kids. Okay, so maybe you'll identify with this a little bit. Um, Amy was on her way to the grocery store with her husband and her two-year-old daughter. They get to the grocery store. They start shopping. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to a grocery store with your kids. But uh, it can be mildly stressful. Um, they can be a little bit intense. They can, uh, you know, ask for things, look for things, jump off the cart, swing on the cart. The Kendrick boys in our home love uh, terrorizing the grocery store. You know, they love just like just running up and down, grabbing a hundred things, you know, hanging off the cart like they're Tarzan. And, and uh, it's always a really good time at the grocery store from my perspective, not so from my wife's perspective, but... Uh, but uh, Amy Collar was on her way to the grocery store. She gets there. She's shopping. She's doing her thing. And uh, I don't know what her day was like that day. But I do know in the midst of her shopping, um, she's whatever, looking at the cereal aisle or doing whatever she was doing. And she turns back to her two-year-old daughter in the little cart thing and realizes that her daughter is not breathing. Now, this is a terrifying moment for any parent. If you ever are in a position where you find your child not doing physically what they're supposed to be doing and not sure how to fix it, it can be absolute sheer terror. And so she's trying to you know, get the child to breathe and figuring out what's going wrong. And she's patting her back and she's trying to figure things out. And seconds are going by and minutes are going by. And Amy Collard's two-year-old daughter is not coming back. And so panic becomes total terror, terror, fear. She is completely unsure of what to do next. Now, I just want you to imagine for a moment that position. You're there with your husband at the grocery store, and all of a sudden, your little girl stops breathing. She's turning blue. That is a moment that no parent ever wants to find themselves in, you know? And so out of nowhere, a man who was also shopping at the store comes by, sees the situation, scoops up the, the girl that is not breathing, lays her down on the checkout counter, and begins to perform mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation on this girl. Ninety seconds go by, probably the longest 90 seconds in Amy Collard's life, and this little two-year-old girl starts breathing again. Now, I don't know what that whole experience was like for her, but I can tell you that she didn't take for granted that day the simple act of breathing. 
And I think about how often you and I take for granted this act of breathing. How often do you find yourself thinking about the fact that you're breathing? Probably not that often, right? I mean, it's not something that I think of unless I'm sitting next to someone who is kind of annoyingly breathing, you know, which you may be doing right now. But if they're kind of, you're kind of, you know, you become very aware of the breathing. But generally, it's not something that we live aware of. We're consistently breathing all throughout the day and night. And most of us are not thinking about it. You know, I was reading recently an aspiring scientist who asked the question, what would happen if all oxygen were to disappear for five seconds. And these are his hypothesis for what would happen if all oxygen on planet Earth disappeared just for five seconds. Okay, here's his hypothesis. He said the first thing that would happen is the beach, anyone at the beach would get sunburns because the ozone layer wouldn't be there to protect you from the UV lights. And so you would get uh, sunburned. The daytime sky would grow darker. Um, Every internal combustion engine would stall. This means that every airplane taking off on the runway would likely crash to the ground while planes in flight could glide for some time. Pieces of untreated metal would instantly spot weld to one another. This is an interesting idea. The reason metals don't weld on contact is they're coated with a layer of oxidation. In vacuum conditions, metals weld without any intermediate liquid phase. Everyone's inner ear would explode. That's kind of a bummer. But um, apparently his hypothesis is that your inner ear would explode. There's air pressure that would be released, uh, equivalent to being teleported to the top of the Andes Mountains. And so it would cause too much pressure and your ear would blow up. Every building made out of concrete would turn to dust. Oxygen is an important ingredient in concrete structures. Really, the CO2 is. And without it, the compounds do not hold their rigidity. Every living cell would explode in a haze of hydrogen gas. Water is one Third, oxygen, without it, the hydrogen turns into gaseous state and expands in volume. The oceans would evaporate and bleed into space, and everything above ground would immediately go into freefall. As oxygen makes up 45% of the Earth's crust and mantle, there is suddenly a lot less stuff beneath your feet to hold everything up. Isn't that wonderful? Glad you came to church for a little science lesson today. Interesting that oxygen is not just needed for my lungs to breathe, but it's actually the ground I stand on, the coat above me that protects me, the thing that's binding everything together. Now, the last few weeks, we've been unpacking this prayer, right? And one of the things that I've emphasized again and again and again is that this prayer, the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, is not a mantra to be recited. I know for me, that was pounded into my head as a kid. Say this prayer, say this prayer. So I just, Our Father, we're never allowed to be in there. You know, and I'm just cranking out the prayer. But what we're seeing instead is the Our Father is actually a map to be followed, right? So in other words, it gives us a lay of the land. Just as a map shows us where the mountains are and shows us where the rivers are, this truth of the prayer gives us a lay of the land so that we can accurately interact with God. And so what we've seen so far is that first he wants us to filter things through this reality of God as Father, right? And so God is my Father. He's my Father. And because he's my Father, it changes the way I interact with him. And then we looked last week at this idea of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so far we've said, God, your name's greater than mine and you are my father. I'm adopted into your family through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the risen savior. And now I say, your kingdom's more important than my glory. And so your kingdom come and your will is more important than my will. So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, after our hearts have been filtered through those parts of the prayer, we find now the capacity to ask something huge. Give us this day our daily bread. See, you can't accurately ask that until your heart has been filtered. Now, bread in the ancient world was the most common food available. So more than fish, more than fruit, 
bread was the most common food. And uh, what we're seeing here, when Jesus says, give us the day our daily bread, scholars agree he's speaking of all of life's necessities. He's not just saying, God, we need bread. He's saying to pray to the Father for all of your necessities. So I need food, I need clothes, I need a home, I need a job, I need money to pay the bills, I need a healthy body. All of these things are necessities for staying alive. So what Jesus is fundamentally teaching us in the most basic form, and stay with me this morning, is that he wants you to ask God for your necessities. Okay? That doesn't sound all that profound, right? We're cool with that. God wants us to ask him for our necessities. He wants you to ask him for the things that you need. But you don't. I'm convinced that the vast majority of us in this room do not daily ask God for our necessities. Why? Well, I would propose two reasons. Maybe there's more, but let me give you two. One reason that you may not consistently ask God for your necessities is because you think you're bothering him. You think that, uh, you know, God doesn't want to be bothered with the fact that you need brakes on your car. God doesn't want to be bothered with the fact that, you know, your mortgage is due and you don't have quite enough cash. And so you think you're bothering God. You think, you know what, Justin, he's got to keep the world spinning on his axis. You know, he's got to, you know, keep all the planets in line. He's got to, you know, try to fix health care. You know, he's got big problems, right? He's got big problems. He doesn't have time for my little issues like, you know, this, you know, toe that seems to always hurt me and has fungus and won't go away. Not me, but others I'm sure have that. You know, you know, he doesn't have time to deal with those things. God doesn't worry about stuff like that. Really? Because according to scripture, we see a God who, though he is in control of all the big things in life, also has this strange, intimate desire to deal with the little things in life. He says he counts the number of hairs on your head. I mean, what a painful task for some of us. Others, it's not so painful. But yeah, he counts the hairs on your head. There's a great story in, uh, in the Old Testament where the book, uh, in the book of Exodus, where the people of Israel are walking through the wilderness, right? And they're walking through the wilderness. And, uh, and what they find is that, you know, they're there for 40 years. And the scripture says that God makes their clothes not wear out and their sandals remain strong on their feet and not, you know, kind of fall apart. God cares about sandals? There's a great story in the New Testament where Jesus raises this little girl from the dead. She comes back to life, and her parents are like, ah, you know, they're pumped. And the first thing he says is, give her something to eat. Why? I mean, what's the mysterious reason behind that? I think she was hungry. I mean, seriously, I think she was hungry, and Jesus knew it. He cared. He cared. He cared about all these little things. Some of us don't want to bother God with our little problems. Friend, let me tell you, he cares. All the little necessities of life. God, we need a new car. God, we need to figure out a place to live. Our apartment's not working out. He wants you to ask him. But there's another reason that I think that many of us don't ask God. And I think this is probably the bigger reason in our society. Is you think you got it covered. You think you got it under control. You say, Justin, you don't understand. I don't really need daily bread. I've got bread today. In fact, I've got bread tomorrow, and I've got bread next week, and, and I have enough money to buy bread for a month or even two months, and if I ran out, I could pull from my mutual fund or my savings, and, and then I've got a credit card, and mom would send me bread if she had to, and so I've got bread. I mean, I've got bread for, I don't know, 12 years, 15 years. What am I going to bother Jesus with these things? I can handle that. Why don't I give him something big, and I can take care of these little things because I can already handle them. I don't really need God's help. 
And this is where the deception kicks in. This is where the deception of American culture and a, and a culture of affluence starts to deceive us. Because what Scripture describes again and again and again is that you are in a place, hear me today, of absolute and complete dependence upon God, whether you realize it or not. See, in the story, there's a story about a man named Job. Maybe you know the story. And literally, in 10 minutes, he finds out, hey, Job, by the way, all your cattle were stolen, all your camels have been taken, you know, all your uh, fields have been burned, and all your kids have been killed. Literally, in just a few minutes, everything he has is wiped from him. Maybe you remember the days of uh, 2005, Hurricane Katrina. And you remember the time where, you know, um, people literally lost everything. I was down there in Biloxi and, and in Gulfport and all these different areas down there and standing and talking with people that, you know, a day earlier had everything and just a day later had lost it all. That's a reality that most of us don't live with. But it's real. You might have daily bread. But you can't stop your body from choking on it. Right? You can't stop your internal system from malfunctioning and not being able to process it. You can't stop your heart from not beating. You can't stop an aneurysm that's in your brain that you don't know about right now from exploding in the next five minutes. Welcome to church. <laughs> you can't stop these things. We like to pretend like we're in control. But I'm pressing you this morning to realize that this prayer gives us a lay of the land, right? It gives us a map. It gives us a picture of reality. And the reason that Jesus is telling us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's because you are in a position of complete and absolute dependence on God. You may not be aware of your breathing, but if we pull that oxygen for just five seconds, everything around you is going to fall apart. You may not be aware of your deep need for God right now, but if we just withdrew His grace for five seconds, everything in your world would decompose and fall apart. You are in a place of absolute, complete, utter dependence on God. When I was a kid, my, my parents took me to Hawaii. Me and my older brother, we went to Hawaii. And, um, you know, it was a good time. I mean, we, uh, we enjoyed ourselves. We had a lot of fun. And, and uh, one of the things we like to do is body surf. You know, and body surfing in Hawaii is, is not like body surfing in, you know, Long Island Sound. It's a little bit different. First of all, there's not as many syringes and, you know, people's fingers and stuff. But second of all is there's much bigger waves. There's much, you know, bigger, more significant waves. And so we were playing in the waves and our plan was to kind of let the waves smash us, you know? And so here's me and my brother holding on to my dad's leg. I'll never forget this, just clinging to my dad's leg. And the wave comes and just nails us. And it was a lot of fun. And then finally this wave that was like, I don't know, 80 or 90 feet high, I think, um, came and crashed down on me and my brother and just ripped me. Right off my dad's leg. I can still remember the feeling of like my fingers sliding off his leg and not being able to stop it. And I just got ripped out to sea. And I'm getting tossed around in the ocean in Hawaii by myself now. And you know, for a little kid or really for anybody, that feeling you have when you're stuck underwater in the ocean and one thing is pushing your legs this way, another thing is pushing your heads that way, you're kind of getting all twisted. You know that feeling? Maybe you've been underwater, you've experienced that before. Well, that's exactly what I was feeling. And I remember in this moment, it was only, I don't know, a few seconds, but my, this panic started to kick in. Like, I am not in control. I am not in control. There is no part of this experience of which I am now in control of. And I began to realize that I can't do anything about this. I can't get up to the top of the water to get some air. And all of a sudden, oxygen became a whole lot more of a necessity in my thinking. And thank God my dad ran around, found me, stuck his hand out in the water, grabbed a hold of Justin and yanked him up. Pulled me up. We were done playing in the waves that day. That was it for the day. 
it for the vacation, actually. We didn't go back in the waves after that. Dependence on an outside source. I am dependent. No one dependence better, check this out, than the one who didn't need to be absolutely dependent. No one has illustrated dependence better than the one who among all of us from all of human history could have not been dependent. Jesus the Son, perfectly God, fully God, and fully man. The great mystery of the ages, the hinge of the Christian faith, is the one that demonstrates for you and I what true dependence should look like. He says these phrases all throughout the New Testament. He says the Son can do nothing of Himself, but only what He sees the Father doing. Is that not a crazy phrase for incarnate God to declare? I can do nothing. He doesn't say some things. He doesn't say a couple things. He says, I can do nothing outside the Father. I have chosen in my humanity to live a life fully dependent upon the Father so that I could be a model for you. He says in another place, he says, I can do nothing on my own. I do nothing of my own authority. So again and again and again, we see Jesus modeling this way of dependence. But it's not a timid dependence. If you notice, Jesus wasn't very timid. He was pretty confident. It was what I would call a brave dependence. A brave dependence. A dependence that is confident in the one in whom they are depending upon. A dependence that is aware of our own total incapability to reach what God would have us reach, even to provide the very basic necessities for our lives. Do you live with an awareness of this reality? Do you live with the awareness? Because here's what I'm telling you, effective prayer can't continue in your life until you start to discover this truth. I am completely dependent on God. For breath, for food, for clothes, for shelter. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus illustrates this idea of brave dependence. You can read it with me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I'll go down to 11. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and, you'll no- or seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. If you've been around church, you've heard that before. Listen to it again. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone. James tells us you have not because you ask not. But you ask and you don't receive, James tells us in the book of James, because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasure. Guess how you get your selfish motives out of the way? Start with our Father. Then hallowed be your name. Then your kingdom come. Then your will be done. Then give us this day our daily bread. And now your motives are pure before God and this promise belongs to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if, his, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? If you have a Bible, you can circle that in your Bible. How much more will your father again comes out of relationship who's in heaven give good things to those who who ask him. You can write this down if you want. Brave daily dependence unlocks supernatural provision. That's a huge idea that will completely change your life if you grab a hold of it. I said brave daily dependence. When you operate from the perspective of consistent dependence on God, but it's not a timid dependence, it's a confident dependence on God for all of your necessities. What it does is it unlocks supernatural provision. I wonder if many of us are not seeing the supernatural hand of God in our lives because you're living like 
You don't need him. How did Jesus live such an amazing life? How did the apostles operate in so many miracles and power? How did saints all throughout the years have this grace? Was it their own super strong power? Or did they discover, give us this day our daily bread? Brave daily dependence unlocks supernatural provision. You could turn to the person next to you and say, that's good. So glad I came to church. This is an invitation into the life of miracles, friends. This is an invitation into a life of miracles. Exodus chapter 16, we see this reality illustrated, okay? If you know the story, you know that um, God began uh, his interactions with humanity, his plan of redemption, really unraveling from the dawn of time. But it took a huge step forward when he started interacting with a guy named Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a family. And out of that family, I'm going to make you a nation. Out of that nation, I'm going to bring a savior that's going to save the whole world and bless the whole world. And so we see this process unfold with Abraham that all who would believe in Christ because of Abraham's descendant, this whole journey would bring us salvation to anyone who would believe, right? And so we see Abraham has a son named Isaac through a miracle. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And they become the 12 tribes that become the 12, you know, uh, parts of the nation of Israel. And Moses leads that nation out of the bondage of Pharaoh. And he crosses the Red Sea in a supernatural, miraculous experience. And now they're on the other side on the way to the promised land. Still going to be 40 years before they ever step into Canaan. But in between that time... They don't have food. They don't have water. And the people begin to cry out. And if you know the story, you know that God hears their cry and responds with miracle provision. Why? Because they were daily, completely dependent. And so they found themselves in this need. And so supernatural provisions unlocked. And every day they wake up in the morning and there's a thin, flaky bread on the ground. They call it manna. They call it manna. What's the first thing you think they do? When they see this manna, they eat it. Yeah, that's the first thing they do. What's the second thing you think they do? They store it up. Exactly what you would do. Good. Now I can be in control. Let me pack some of this in my bag for tomorrow. That's exactly what they do. I don't want to be dependent on some miracle bread that drops from the sky. I want to be able to control my own destiny. Let me get this in my bag. And God warns them through Moses and says, listen to the story. He warns them through Moses. He says, hey, hey, no, no, you can't store it up. If you store it up, it will rot with worms. You can't take it. But they, listen, they don't listen to him. And they all try to store it up. And the next day, they find that it's all rotted and covered with worms. What is this showing us? Well, Jesus is painting two pictures at the exact same time through this Old Testament story. God did this profoundly all through Scripture where he shows us different layers of himself, in, of himself in multiple ways. In one sense, he's telling you, hey, listen, I care about your daily needs, and I can provide for you no matter what. Let that, th let that thought sink in. If you would just have brave daily dependence upon me, I can provide for you in miraculous ways. So if I can drop bread from the sky, I think I can deal with your electric bill. If I can drop bread from the sky, I think I can handle your huge, ridiculous student loans. If I can drop bread from the sky, I think I can fix that flat tire. If you would just have dependence, if you would have confident, brave dependence, it would unlock the supernatural provision. Or you could diddle around your whole life in your own strength and never see the miracle life that God invites you into. 
brave daily dependence. That's the first thing he's saying. Hey, listen, I dropped bread from the sky for these people. I'm the same God I can provide for you. That's the first thing we want to realize. Give us this day our daily bread is a practical prayer for your basic necessities. And you should pray it specifically for the things that you need. You should ask God for that car that you need, for that house that you need. You should ask God for these things. You say, well, what if I'm too selfish? Well, filter your motives through the beginning of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallowed be your name. And when you filter your motives through those things, you can audaciously begin to ask God for his provision. But there's a second layer. There's a second truth that God's revealing here in this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. See, the Hebrew word for bread is lachem. Say it with me. Lachem. Come on, try it out. It's fun. Lachem. It's lachem. One more time. Lachem. You have to get a little lachem in there to get it right. Lachem. Lachem. Now the word for house is the word baith. Baith. You put them together and you get baith lachem. Baith lachem. House of bread. House of bread. See, bread is a substance in which you put into your body and the nutrients from that bread get transferred and become life and energy for you, right? And we see Jesus in John chapter 6. You can follow along with me. Jesus in John chapter 6 stands up and says something that makes the majority of the people listening to him completely confused. He says this in John 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, does God care about your needs? Yes. Does God want to meet them? Yes. Does God want to give you enough food, shelter, and clothing? Yes. But you know, what? You can eat your whole life and die and go to hell, separated from him, far away from him, consumed by his judgment and his wrath. Or there's a deeper, greater reality to what God is saying here is that you don't just need food inside your stomach. You need God inside your heart. That's the essence of what he's going after here. And he's saying, listen, there's a deeper reality here that Jesus Christ on the cross removed for all time the sin that would separate you from God, making you blameless before him. He then died in a grave and was ascended into heaven three days later so that he could send the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside this jar of clay so that this frail human being could become the house of God. And inwardly now, I can digest life. I can feed on Christ. And here's the secret. It works the same way. Brave daily dependence on the blameless perfection of Jesus unlocks the supernatural. Brave, constant dependence. In other words, you know, just the same way that you act like you don't need God to provide for you, I would propose that in the same way you act like you don't need Christ's righteousness. In other words, you're saying, well, Justin, you know, I mean, I've got bread stored up. I can handle my own bread. No, you can't. You can't even breathe for five seconds outside of God's grace. In the same way, you might say, well, I mean, I, I go to church and I give some money and I help old ladies across the street and I do a whole bunch of nice things. And that's, that's kind of part of my way that God likes me. No. Friend, you need to completely abandon not only your sin, but also your righteousness. And embrace fully, brave 
daily dependence on the righteousness of Jesus. Brave daily dependence. Check this out. This one's worth coming to church for by itself. You can fight darkness and devils with binding and loosing and praying, and you should. You should pray. We talked about it last week. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You should come against oppression, against fear, against lust and greed and anxiety and all the different things that would attack you and attack this world. You should pray against them. But there's another way to break the power of the devil in your life. There's another way. There's another tool in your tool belt to break the power of the devil in your life. Catch it today. The psalmist said it like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table of my enemies. In other words... If you, would just, if you would just feast on the truth of Christ, if you could just feast on the riches that are found in Jesus Christ, if you begin to eat those truths more than you ate food, more passionate about those truths than you were about the substance of your own body, what I can tell you today is if you started to rely on the truths of Christ and the reality of Christ on the cross, redeeming my soul, washing me of all guilt, reconciling me to God, making me right, adopting me into His family, if you began to feed on those things and you became more dependent on those truths than you were on breakfast lunch or dinner, what I'm telling you is demons wouldn't be able to torment you. Lack would not be able to stop you. Fear would not be able to scare you. Trials would not be able to discourage you. Death would not be able to hold you. Sometimes the most powerful way to fight in the spirit is to eat. Give us this day our daily bread. And when you feed on Christ, you find substance for your spirit. So then why don't you? Why don't you? I don't know. I mean, if we did a poll here today and we discovered exactly how much time you spend eating food every day and exactly how much time you spend feasting on the truth of Christ, where would the numbers add up? Oh, well, you know, I'm busy. I'm not too busy to eat. We see that this prayer give us this day our daily bread is actually two prayers. It's God, Father, provide for my specific needs. That's a prayer you should pray, friend. Don't be so proud to think that you don't need Him. You do. Just like oxygen, you need Him. Father, give me today my daily bread. Help me with this situation with my car. God, I need a new job. God, help me with this situation with my health. God, heal my body. All those things. He wants to hear about them. He wants you to be dependent on Him. But then He also wants you to say, Father, feed me with the love of Christ. Do you know how to eat Christ? Do you know how to feed on Christ? You know, I've found that most Christians don't. That most Christians think that feeding on Christ is going to church and being encouraged for 45 minutes, 47 minutes today. Friend, there's a whole lot more to feeding on Christ than just an occasional experience at a church. I wanted to bring something to show you, so I'm going to walk off here and I'm going to grab something that is very hard to grab.
Kind of. Boy, we thought we'd make this as hard as humanly possible. You know, over the years, I've spent some time alone. Thanks, guys. And uh, this isn't, this is just like a couple year, this is a few year illustration, because this isn't, I didn't want to bring all of them, but over the years, you know, I got in this habit of just having a notebook. And uh, in the notebook, I would write down all my interactions with God. And every day, I would set time aside. And, you know, we talk here about quiet times or times in prayer. It's not the structure that's the problem. It's the fact that people don't do it. That's the problem. And sometimes you eat a meal, and it's like, yeah, it was peanut butter and jelly. It's not the best thing I ever had. And other times you eat a filet mignon, and it's delicious. And that's the same way it is with God and time with Him. Sometimes I spend time with God, and it's like, well, it was substance, other times, it's delicious. But what, I, what I'm pointing at here is that I wonder what your journals look like, what your notebooks look like. How long have you been following God? I don't know how many notebooks I have, and I've certainly not done it perfect, but I can tell you this. Since I met Jesus as a teenager, probably about 15 years ago now, I have daily begun to interact with God, feed on Christ, and just write down the things that He speaks to me. And you know what they are? They're food for my soul. Let me illustrate. As I was preparing for this, I just pulled these all out. And every time I pull them out, it's kind of nostalgic. I just be like, oh, man. And I just opened this one, this green one. I was probably 17. Okay, 17 years old when I wrote this one down, when I, when I took this, this one, 17, 18. I opened to a page, literally randomly. And if you know the story of City Church and where we've been as a community, this will make a little bit more sense. But I'm probably 17, maybe 18 years old writing this, okay? Check this out. It says, I had a dream that we played at Toad's Place. It was really late. It was, check this out. It was really late. We got up there. At like one o'clock or something, I had this feeling like I didn't know what to say to the people. It was tough. Prepare yourself, Justin. Now, if you know our story, you know that 12 years after I wrote that down and God just fed me with that little truth, I had forgotten about the prayer. But we ended up at Toad's Place for the beginning of this church, the launch of this church. And by God's supernatural grace, CNN, USA Today, CBN, all picked up the story. And literally nationwide, people were calling us to talk to us about this amazing church we started, even though it was the first Sunday we ever had. And the grace of God has rested on this community since that time. But 12 years before we ever got to that point, God was whispering to me, alone with him, you got to get ready. you got to figure out what to say. You've got to understand the gospel because if you don't do it now, you won't be ready then. I wonder how many commands you're missing because you're not spending any time feeding. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, feed me with Christ and meet my specific needs. I want to challenge you with something. Band, you guys can come out. We're going to sing in just a second. I want to challenge you for this week, starting today, for the next seven days, for one week, I want to challenge you to spend as much time feeding on Christ as you spend feeding your stomach.
One week. I want to challenge you for one week to set aside time. Maybe you want to do it in that rhythm of life, you know, in that three times a day, kind of three square meals, three times with God, 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there, 20 minutes there, whatever it is. But I want to challenge you for one week to feed on Christ. You're going to say, sometimes it tastes bland. Yeah, sometimes it tastes bland. Sometimes not a whole lot's going on. Well, what do I do in that time of prayer? Well, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit. We've done whole sermons and outlines on how to spend time with God. And you can go back and review every single podcast we've ever had. And you can pick up cues and stuff throughout those. But the point is not exactly the structure that you use. The point is the time dedicated to hear His voice and to speak to Him. One thing you could do is begin praying this prayer. Father, in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Just stand your feet with me this morning. You know, we prayed this prayer this morning. There's no place I'd rather be than here in your love. Here in your love. We're going to sing in just a second. We're just going to sing a song that if you've been around City Church, we sing it pretty frequently. It just says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I want to just urge you this morning that maybe it's time to make a new commitment to God. Maybe it's time to repent of some things. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you would say, Justin... I'm not depending on God for my daily necessities because I'm living under the lie that I've got it covered. It's time to repent of that if that's what you're thinking, feeling. Maybe you're at a place where you say, you know what? I'm not feeding on Christ. I can complain about all these things, but the reality is I'm just radically malnourished. And I want to come to God. And right now, I want to begin to interact with the divine. And in a new way, I want to ask him to give me my daily bread. Teach me to be still, to listen to his voice, to respond. Come on, let's just open up our hearts this morning. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.